BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. We all know how important hydration is, but sometimes plain water just doesn't cut it. I like to have flavored water and even better water that has some extra benefits to it. So you may have seen on my Instagram recently, I posted my latest obsession, which is karma water, specifically the orange mango karma water. It is so good. So basically the active ingredients found in most pre-mixed vitamin drinks and kombuchas diminish sharply over time, but karma water has this unique push cap that protects vitamins and nutrients until you are ready to drink it, ensuring that you get the full nutritional benefits. And they have a range of three different existing functional lines, and they also have new hydration kits. So you can create your own customized kit from their Karma Wellness Water to Karma Probiotic Water to Karma CBD Water. And you will get a four-week supply of the push caps that you choose, fully customized, and a Karma water bottle that is BPA-free. So it's reusable. You can just fill it up with water and then choose whichever flavor and type of water you want to have. And you just add the push cap to the top and that's it. So they have so many good flavors. Like I said, the orange mango is so delicious, so refreshing on a hot summer day, but definitely check all of them out. So you can visit drinkkarma.com slash blonde and use the code blonde at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. That's D-R-I-N-K-K-A-R-M-A.com slash B-L-O-N-D-E and use the code blonde for 15% off your first order. Welcome to the Blonde Files podcast. I'm your host, Ariel Laurie, and I'm here to talk all things wellness. From how to achieve optimal health and well-being to the best beauty tips and everything in between, no topic is off limits. I know there's so much information out there, so I'm bringing on expert guests and sharing my own experiences to help you sift through all the wellness stuff without the BS. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. Welcome to part two of the ultimate guide to hormones with Dr. Jordan Geller. The response to part one, which was released last week in case you missed it, was overwhelming in the best way. It's just so obvious that not only are hormone issues prevalent, but misconceptions and a general misunderstanding around hormones is also prevalent. There's so much confusing and conflicting information out there. And even when we don't have issues with our hormones, it can be hard to know how to best support our 
bodies throughout the different phases of our lives. So in this part of the episode, we are diving deep into the concept of hormone balancing, like what is true hormone balancing? We talk how to support long-term hormone health. We talk about the most prevalent hormone issues today, including PCOS, endometriosis. We talk about thyroid issues. We talk about menopause. And we also get into specific foods and lifestyle things to do to support hormones, especially around some of those issues like PCOS, thyroid issues, menopause. We talk about how hormones affect hair, skin, and nails, acne. We talk the validity of adrenal fatigue. We talk about ozempic. We talk hormone replacement therapy and so much more. It's such a great episode. I know you guys all loved Dr. Geller, so I'm sure you're happy to hear from him again, hopefully. So if you missed part one or you did not hear a little bit about his background, Dr. Geller earned his medical degree from the University of Southern California and completed a postdoctoral fellowship at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in LA, as well as in NIH Fellowship in Clinical Research. He was the past clinical chief of the Division of Endocrinology, Diabetes, and Metabolism at Cedars-Sinai. He has lectured at national symposia and authored numerous publications in the field of endocrinology. He is dual board certified in endocrinology, diabetes, and metabolism, and internal medicine, and he is on staff at Cedars-Sinai in LA and Jupiter Medical Center in Palm Beach County, Florida, and he manages complex hormonal disorders at his offices in LA, Palm Beach, and through telemedicine consultations in New York. So with that, please enjoy part two with Dr. Jordan Geller. Welcome, Dr. Geller. Thank you. It's great to be back, part two. (laughs) Welcome back. Yes, I really appreciate you doing two parts, by the way. I just wanted to put that out there. I should have told you this before we started recording, but it can be a lot to come here and come in the maze that is the... Pacific Design Center. So thank you and welcome back. And I am sure my listeners are really appreciative too, because like we were talking about last week, this is such a prevalent issue, I think, among not only my audience, but women everywhere. So last week we talked a lot about these sort of endocrine disruptors. We did a pretty comprehensive episode about you know, hormones, how lifestyle contributes to hormone imbalances. So this episode, we're going to be diving a little bit deeper into specifics and into a lot of the listener questions. But something I wanted to ask you about to begin is kind of about this idea of hormone balancing. It's very trendy right now, I think. And we talked about this last week a little bit, how a lot of people are talking about how to balance hormones and There's a lot of myths going around, I would imagine. So can you maybe tell us a little bit about like what is real and what is myth when it comes to hormone balancing? Well, you know, this concept of balance is something that, you know, we see throughout all different hormones in the body where there's sort of a yin and a yang. Cortisol goes up and cortisol goes down and thyroid hormones go up, but then there's enzymes that will drive it down. And so, you know, having a low hormone at some point parts of the cycle or some parts of our life or part of our day is not necessarily a bad thing. And that's one of the biggest myths. You know, I'll have patients refer to me, maybe they've gone 
to a lab on their own or to a naturopath and something is low and everyone freaks out and they think it's a disease and I need to take a hormone to replace it when we may have just caught them at a certain part of the natural cycle. So that's one, you know, really common problem that I see or misconception that, you know, it's abnormal to see something out of range, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another issue is that the solution to hormone imbalance is not always to take a hormone. In fact, more often than not, that's the wrong answer because when our body gets a hormone, it stops having any incentive to make its own. So unless somebody truly has a deficiency of a hormone, the way to treat a hormone imbalance is to try to get to the root issue, of course, and not just put people on hormones. Mm -hmm. And how does one find out if they have a true hormone deficiency? Seeing a good endocrinologist (laughs) is always a good way to start because, you know, oftentimes we'll look at the hormone of concern, but we'll look at other hormones that may stimulate that hormone. And of course, you know, we take a really thorough history and we ask a lot of questions. And I always tell my patients, I'm kind of like a detective because I ask them questions from their sleep and their stress management and their diet and their digestive system and their skin, hair, nails. And so, you know, we try to put together like a whole story and not just look at a number in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. When is hormone replacement appropriate? I did get a lot of questions about this. Some women were asking about replacing progesterone. Others had low estrogen or had tested at some point low estrogen and replacing that. And there were a lot of questions about whether hormone replacement can delay menopause and all of that. So can we dive into that topic a bit? Absolutely. So, you know, menopause strictly is defined as not having a period for a year. And, you know, I was literally a couple hours ago, I was with a patient in my office having this very same discussion. So I'll kind of use her as an example, but she's still having, you know, regular periods, but she's starting to have hot flashes and night sweats and some other changes in her libido. And her cycle is still pretty regular. Her doctor put her on progesterone initially, but really for no reason, she wasn't having any symptoms at that point. But very often what happens in perimenopause is that women will still make estrogen, but they don't ovulate and they don't make progesterone. So they'll start to have erratic breakthrough bleeding and some early hot flashes. So that's an appropriate time, generally speaking, to consider just progesterone. And sometimes we'll use it just for, you know, two weeks out of the month and try to sort of mimic that normal luteal phase. When a woman is having, you know, more significant symptoms, we'll use estrogen replacement. So that would be hot flashes, night sweats, and, you know, mood swings and insomnia and those types of things. So you know, again, using this patient as an example that I saw, she's having night sweats, she's still having regular periods, but you know, she's 51, the writing's on the wall. Why should we wait till she feels like shit for a year to then treat her? So I think there's more of a movement towards just being proactive. Certainly there is in my practice to not wait till someone's having zero period and feeling really terrible. It's better to be proactive and start a little earlier. Mm -hmm. And when you say you can replace progesterone. Is that with like a bioidentical or do you ever use like the progestin only pill or is that something totally different? I typically will use like what's called natural or micronized progestin, which is a capsule that people take it uh, at bedtime. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you can't really prevent the onset of menopause, it sounds like, but you can help to manage the transition. Yeah, a you manage bit. it. You can be proactive with it. And, you know, when I see women in their 40s, We talk a lot about building up reserve so that when you do go through menopause, you can just weather the storm. And I see Mm -hmm. patients of mine who are fit and have a really healthy lifestyle and they eat healthy and they exercise, 
they don't have a difficult time with menopause. I mean, they'll still have some hot flashes and night sweats, but they're not you know, miserable, mm-hmm. for example, compared to someone who's really overweight and drinks a lot and has a terrible lifestyle, they're going to really suffer. And I kind of think of the analogy with COVID, if you looked at like who got really sick and died and who didn't, it was the, you know, obese, unhealthy patients who really mm-hmm. suffered the most. Mm-hmm. So I encourage my patients to, you know, prepare for it because it's coming. Mm-hmm. Well, what are some ways that we can prepare for it? I mean, we talked last week a lot about things that can interfere with regular hormone production and I guess, you know, quote unquote, balanced hormones. And we did talk about certain lifestyle things that we can do to support our bodies. But why don't we dive into that a little bit more again as well? Like what are some universal things that people should be doing and not doing to protect those reserves long term? Well, I think, again, it's more things not to do than things to do. Mm. Again, talking a lot about the endocrine disruptors. Mm -hmm. For example, nonstick cookware, which we were talking about earlier, there's studies that show it accelerates the onset of menopause and brings it on earlier. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's never too late to adopt healthy habits with the chemicals that we're exposed to. I mean, every day the industries are making newer, more toxic things for us. So it's never too late for us to not use those. Mm -hmm. And that's just one example is the cookware. Alcohol is another example that, you know, I see in a lot of my patients, for whatever reason, you know, our ability to metabolize and tolerate alcohol really plummets as we get older, even in our 40s, which is not that old. (laughs) But in women in particular, it leads to a lot of, you know, hormone imbalances. Basically, every hormone in their system can be affected by alcohol use. And so, you know, you don't want to have two different hits at the same time, the natural onset of menopause and, you know, alcohol use, for example. Mm -hmm. So those are a few things that, you know, healthy habits to avoid or to, you know, to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we can't change the clock. Our (laughs) bodies have this biological clock. We were sort of designed, quote unquote, to reproduce and then just sort of fall off. But now we're living to be, you know, 90 or 100 because of modern medicine. And so we need to think about how we're going to handle that that gap. Mm -hmm. And that's where hormone replacement, you know, comes in because it's really about quality of life for so many of my patients. You know that feeling when you get home from a long day and immediately want to take off your bra? With Honey Love, you will never experience that again. And I am here to personally attest to this. So their bras are so comfortable, you will forget you're even wearing them and you may even sleep in them. So true story, after I got my boobs done, first of all, I had to change the types of bras that I was wearing on a day-to-day basis because I don't wear underwire anymore. So I wanted to find something really supportive, really comfortable, but still kind of sexy. And for some reason, despite being somebody who my entire life has preferred to not sleep in anything, I now feel like I prefer to sleep in a bra because I just feel like it keeps everything kind of contained. So I had to find something really comfortable. And let me tell you, Honey Love's bestseller crossover bra is so comfortable. Not only can I wear it all day, I am not trying to take it off as soon as I get home, but I actually enjoy sleeping in it too. So it gives all the support of traditional bras without using any underwires. Plus it has this nice mesh detailing. So it does have that little hint of sexy. And this is the one bra that you'll actually enjoy wearing and you won't want to take it off. So if you're tired of 
bras that are uncomfortable and cause bulging in the back. Honey Loves bras are designed with back smoothing fabric to prevent that bra bulge. And for the more relaxed lounge bra, I recommend their V bra. So it offers the support of a traditional bra without the uncomfortable underwire. And it's designed to lift and separate. And it has these molded cups. So it's not like a shelf-like bra that creates that uniboob effect. It gives you this really nice cleavage. But it doesn't stop there. Honey Love has more than just bras. They have incredibly comfortable shapewear, tanks, and leggings for everyday support. So you can pair your V-bra with their breathable and versatile leggings, or you can get the matching shapewear to your crossover bra. Honey Love has got you covered for the everyday look, workouts, weddings, and more. So treat yourself to the best shapewear on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com slash blonde. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off. Again, that's honeylove.com slash blonde. Cinched, snatched, and lifted. It is hot girl season thanks to Honey Love. I am getting ready to go to Paris in a few days and one question that I get all the time is around my wellness practices when I am traveling. People are interested in what supplements I bring and how I maintain healthy eating and exercise and all of that. And to be totally honest, realistically, I don't really maintain my wellness practices when I travel. I want to experience the food and the culture, and I'm not necessarily going to be working out depending on what my schedule is, but I have one foundational wellness practice that has been a constant in my life for a couple years and remains a constant even when I'm traveling. And that is starting my day with AG1. And I especially love it for travel. And this is why. So every scoop of AG1 is packed with 75 vitamins, minerals, probiotics and whole food sourced ingredients of high quality. They give me major benefits like gut and mood support, boosted energy, and even healthier looking skin, hair, and nails. And it's so efficient when you're traveling because you don't have to pack a bunch of different supplements. You don't necessarily have to pack a prebiotic and different vitamins and all of that because everything is in this one thing. And when I travel, I'm not necessarily focused on getting a lot of different micronutrients. And I remember when I was in France this time last year, I really was just eating bread and butter and pastries and chocolate and some fish, not a whole lot of greens going on when I was there. So I love starting my day with AG1 because I feel like I'm just getting everything that I need and kind of covering all of my bases. And then I can just go out and enjoy my life. So if you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash blondefiles. Again, that's drinkag1.com slash blondefiles. Check it out. What's up, everyone? I'm Sheena Shea. You may know me from nine seasons of Bravo's Vanderpump Rules, but I'm here to tell you about my podcast called Shenanigans. We talk about everything from reality TV, pop culture, relationships, parenting, and invite you to join the conversations with Q&A sessions where nothing is off the table. There's so much more I want to share with you. Thanks for listening and make sure to subscribe to Shenanigans to stay up to date with new episodes every Friday. So it sounds like there aren't foods that you can eat that can help to increase 
estrogen, progesterone, testosterone? There are, are there? there are food, you know, there are foods that are called phytoestrogens, for example, which are plants that have estrogen-like activity. So that can be helpful to support the body or to prevent the onset of symptoms as estrogen is declining. B vitamins can be very helpful in helping the pituitary gland and helping our hormones work. Having a high protein diet, I think is really helpful and just, you know, healthy nourishment in general, because again, if the body is stressed or undernourished, it's going to dial down production of hormones. And that again, will just accelerate things at an inopportune time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have an exact number for this, but I'm thinking of a question that I saw that I'm not sure I wrote down in my notes. And that was, is there a minimum body fat percentage for regular hormone production. I mean, I I know a lot of women who have followed me and myself have had the experience of being a little too (laughs) underweight and not getting a period anymore. I'm sure it varies person to person, but is there a range? There probably is. And and I don't know that off the top of my head, but Mm -hmm. what I can tell you is that the trajectory, like if somebody's always been, you know, low BMI and thin and has a regular period, that may not be as much of an issue. But if somebody suddenly loses a lot of weight or adopts a really restrictive diet, that can suddenly cause loss of their cycle, even if they're overweight. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we see this in a lot of different uh, diets that people are doing these days. You know, we, we see hormonal manifestations of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we touched a little bit on like semaglutide and the like last week and how it can be useful for people who are overweight maybe people with PCOS, I'm not sure if we talked about that, who do have insulin resistance and can tend to have weight issues as well. Right. But I know at least in LA, like a lot of people are on it who aren't necessarily falling into that category. And I wonder how that's affecting hormones and all of that for people who are already a regular weight. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we've seen, obviously there's no question about the benefit of those medicines and in overweight patients or my diabetic patients. And, you know, at first it was kind of frustrating because there was such a supply issue and it's hard to get it. And there's a lot of people in LA who want to take it to lose a smaller amount of weight. But having said that, it's hard to deny the benefits of it. Even in someone who, you know, wants to lose 10 pounds, I've seen a lot of patients who feel better. They feel less inflamed. Their energy is better. Their mood is better. Their cycles may be better. Mm -hmm. So it's not that that medicine cannot help somebody, you know, who has a smaller weight loss goal. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of been a supply and demand issue, which I yeah. think. Yeah, no, I know plenty of people on it who really only had that five or 10 pounds. And this is probably a separate topic entirely and kind of a can of worms that we don't need to get into, but you know, who've taken it compounded and maybe mixed with other peptides, I'm not sure. And they feel amazing. Right. And everything is great. And that inflammation, like you said, it's down. And I think more will be revealed when it comes to that. Yeah. I think (laughs) like most drugs, you know, we're learning about it after it's out on the market. You know, Mm -hmm. we saw anecdotally like the decrease in in alcohol consumption in patients. And now that's been widely reported. They've done studies showing decreased drug, drug use in animal models. It even may curtail shopping behavior. There's studies about that and people that oh, over shop. Maybe I should take it. You know, yes, it's been compounded. There's been some issues about the semaglutide salt versus the base, the compound they use to make it mm-hmm. in compounding pharmacies. So that's kind of raised the concern at the FDA. That'll probably be resolved once the supply gets back up to mm-hmm. production. Okay. So some other issues that can happen during perimenopause, menopause, but also just, I think, happen 
as a result of aging are issues with hair, skin and nails. And you said that that is something that you look at when a patient comes to see you. Can you talk a little bit about how hormones affect that? Absolutely. Our skin is really, you know, a message from what's going on inside. So almost every hormone has a manifestation with the skin. For example, thyroid, if it's underactive, patients often complain of dry skin, cracked skin, their nails are more brittle, their hair is brittle and dry. And typically we'll see skin, hair, and nails follow a similar pattern. Conversely, if they have a condition such as PCOS or elevated testosterone or adrenal hormones, they may have hair loss on their head in a male pattern. They may have breakouts on their chest or their back, and uh, they may have excessive body hair growth. So those are two like really common ones, but almost every hormone can present with a different skin manifestation. Mm-hmm. What about when your skin starts to get creepy? <laughs> so that's often a sign of estrogen, of loss of estrogen. Uh-huh. Estrogen sort of helps the collagen and that, that stromal support under our skin. So that's a sign of estrogen deficiency. We also see that in patients who are on steroids for anti-inflammatory steroids or who have very high cortisol. Their skin will get very thin and paper-like and they will bruise easily or bleed from really minimal trauma. Mm-hmm. Can you improve that with hormone replacement therapy if it is, if it's indicated? I mean, do you ever have patients who come to you and they're like, my hair is brittle, my, my skin is thin and crepey and then you start hormone replacement therapy and that is improved or reversed absolutely but again it's got to be early that's another Mm -hmm. argument for not waiting until somebody's been in menopause for a year Mm -hmm. if somebody comes into me and they still look great you know skin wise and they're just starting to have hot flashes and night sweats we put them on estrogen and it protects their skin and they feel Mm -hmm. great Mm -hmm. and i also encourage my patients really to have a lot of protein again i know i keep talking about that but it's so important because again our skin our hair our nails all these are the structural components of protein is super important. Mm-hmm. What about things like collagen, supplementing with collagen? I know that the, the data on that is maybe a little bit shaky. Yeah, uh, different people shaky. have, I think people skew it to whatever they are trying to right. say. So collagen, you know, it's an important part of our, our skin and our hair, but taking collagen as a supplement, it just gets broken down into its amino acids. So it's it's a source of protein, it's a source of amino acids, and ultimately those may get reassembled to help grow hair, mm-hmm. but it's not that collagen in the powder goes straight to our hair or our nails or mm-hmm. our skin, unfortunately. I, I will say, this is purely anecdotal, but I was doing the collagen thing in my matcha every morning for a couple of years, and I felt like my hair was growing so fast. It probably was. Who knows? It could have been, but again, yeah. again, it's it's the protein Right. Component. So you can maybe just increase the protein in your diet too and have a similar Perhaps. effect. Perhaps, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if it was causation right. <laughs> or correlation, but I definitely noticed a difference there, but I haven't done that in years. Another major concern with the audience, people who sent in questions, were around hormones and acne. Well, you know, there's a, there's a, term called chloracne, which was referred to from a chemical-induced acne. That was something we learned about in medical school, and I forget the name of the compound that was notable for causing this. But it was a real eye-opener because we realized, hey, you know, acne can happen from chemicals and other conditions and not just, you know, teenage hormones. The other thing to keep in mind about acne is often it is hormonally driven, but it's inflammation, it's bacteria, it's genetics, it's toxins, it's stress. There's many different 
you know, factors that converge in our skin in that follicle to, to cause acne. So I always recommend, you know, treating it from the inside as much as possible. There's good evidence of zinc, of natural compounds like zinc and probiotics that can help, you know, clear up the skin. There's topical tea tree oil, which um, can sometimes be an endocrine disruptor for men, but can also improve skin. Spearmint tea is a compound that's been shown to improve skin breakouts, but we're definitely seeing a lot of it. It's definitely frustrating and definitely responds to diet changes. The biggest thing I think if I had to choose one thing is sugar. And there's, again, there's good evidence about this. All of our hormones also have an interesting feature in that they often kind of do more than one job. So insulin, for example, which is primarily thought of as a blood sugar hormone, will also bind to the insulin receptor and will trigger more acne. So that's why we may see acne in conditions like PCOS or insulin resistance, which are, again, are factors that have nothing to do with just blood sugar. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've talked a lot about chemicals as well and endocrine disruptors and, you know, chemicals being responsible for things like acne. Do you have a protocol with people who you work with if they come in and they say, I have XYZ symptoms? Do you say, okay, first you need to do this, get rid of the cookware, get rid of the cutting board, get rid of the phthalates and the skincare and all of that. Do you have sort of non-negotiables that everybody should do so that then you can get a clearer picture of what's really going on inside the body. Absolutely. And I, you know, it's not a cookie cutter protocol because I do treat everyone unique, but and everybody's situation is unique, but there are sort of a set of standards that I like to, you know, put out there for really for any condition that I'm seeing, whether it's diabetes or acne or someone who's overweight or has a thyroid issue. I always talk about the diet, the chemicals, how they manage stress, their sleep, their gut, because these are just foundational issues that, you know, we need to talk about where I'm not just the guy, as I mentioned the other day, that's going to give a prescription for a pill and send you on your way. Mm -hmm. So would you look at everything in the lifestyle, maybe test the hormones, or do you not even look at them until they maybe remove certain ingredients or make certain lifestyle changes? Or do you get a snapshot before and a snapshot snapshot after. I'm so curious. I'll do it in tandem. I mean, I'm not going to say you have to go do all this stuff before I'll look at your hormones or before Mm -hmm. I'll treat you, but I just want it to always be sort of part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, even if they are in medication, we still need to be addressing the lifestyle issues. Mm -hmm. And, you know, nowadays it's, you know, patients are so much more receptive to that. People don't want to take medication if they can avoid it. There's so much more of an awareness about the role of lifestyle or supplements and meds are really like, you know, much lower down on that list, like we were talking about with PCO and other things. Mm-hmm. This is kind of a good segue into the birth control pill. Yeah. I definitely have noticed that as well, where so many women seem to be going off birth control to opt for a more natural birth control option. Also, women like myself who were put on it when they were teenagers, I think without really understanding necessarily what it was doing, what it was for. Like, I think I said last week that I was put on it when I was 14 because I had a pimple, you know, and I went off it after only a couple of years. But I think a lot of people are wanting to be on less medication if that's appropriate for them. So can you talk about kind of the good and the bad of the birth control pill? Because there is good too. You know, it seems like there's just an epidemic still of prescriptions for birth control. And I think it sort of mirrors like the 
lack of time that doctors have, you know, to spend with their patients. Mm -hmm. I always say that the birth control pill makes the doctor's lives easier and the patient's lives worse. Hmm. So many women will go to their gynecologist for their primary care and maybe they have irregular periods or maybe they have symptoms of PCOS or acne or some other hormonal symptom. And it's like a reflex. The doctor just writes a prescription for the birth control. There's no discussion about lifestyle. There's no discussion about risks of taking the birth control. I've seen patients prescribe birth control who were smokers, who should never be given birth control. I've seen patients given the birth control who had you know, other clotting conditions in their medical history. And again, just to prescribe something without even discussing all the ramifications is a, is a problem. Mm-hmm. There's good evidence birth control pills can you know, disrupt some of the uh, absorption of other vitamins, key vitamins and minerals you know, in women, as well as other side effects from it. So I, I don't prescribe it. Rarely do I ever prescribe it. Mm-hmm. And I always try to encourage my patients to look at other options, you know, mm-hmm. definitely. What are some options that you encourage them to look at? Well, as an endocrinologist, so I'm usually managing like PCOS or those kind of conditions. I'm not mm-hmm. typically seeing them for birth control or reproductive, you know, directly for those issues. But for example, in the setting of PCOS, we'll use supplements like inositol or berberine or resveratrol, all of which are like, there's good evidence to support the use of these in PCOS for different symptoms. Mm -hmm. And I've had tons of patients who use supplements who radically change their life and they get their periods back. It takes time and it takes, you know, patience for them to be convinced that this is going to help. And honestly, even if they don't get their period back as regular as it was, or their symptoms are not a hundred percent cleared up, they're still much healthier than they started out at. Mm-hmm. And that's important for people to, you know, to realize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had so many questions from women who had recently gone off birth control and they were kind of experiencing this post-birth control, just imbalance, I would say, in all right. areas of their life. I had one woman who said she just couldn't stop crying, a lot of post-birth control acne. So what are some things that you would suggest to people who are experiencing that? Well, again, this is, gets back to what we spoke about earlier. When you take a hormone, it will suppress your own body from making it. So when we take birth control pills, the pituitary sees that and it shuts down and it's not going to make any of your own hormones. So sometimes patients will come to me saying, oh, I want you to test my hormones, but they're on birth control. And I said, well, the only hormone I'm going to be measuring is what's in your pill. It's not mm-hmm. your own you know, endogenous hormones. Mm-hmm. So I try to just reassure people it's going to take a while for things to rebalance and there's there's nothing else we can do but time there's no way to sort of accelerate that mm-hmm. i've seen patients go off the pill and they got their period back and they're fine within a month and i've seen patients where it took years and it's not just that it depends on the longer they were on it there's really not a clear correlation there's probably other factors how healthy they are underneath it all mm-hmm. i think there really needs to be a, a lot of consideration about these factors before somebody goes on birth control the other thing is that birth control interferes with other hormones. So as I mentioned, there's a lot of crosstalk. A common scenario that we see is somebody's on thyroid hormone and they're fine and they're stable and they've been on it for years and they go on birth control, their thyroid levels are gonna drop. They're gonna be much lower and they're gonna need an adjustment in their thyroid medicine. But if they're not told that or their physician's not aware of that, they're gonna potentially start to gain weight or feel shitty from hypothyroidism undertreated and that's when they may see me. Mm growth hormone is affected by oral birth control. 
I mentioned thyroid hormone, uh, diabetes in diabetic patients can be affected by estrogen levels. And then of course there's other risks, you know, for clotting or, you know, and smokers and those mm-hmm. things. Yeah. When I went off it, I think I was maybe 18 ish. And then I tried to go on it a few times subsequently, not understanding exactly what it was. I always thought, at least in my twenties, that birth control balances your hormones. Right. And I think that's kind of what you're told, at least right. when you're young and, I think I was lucky because I'm so sensitive. I just, whenever I tried to go back on it emotionally, I was fucking nuts, nuts. Like no matter what (laughs) type they tried to put me on, even like the lowest of the low of the low. I remember like I just had this breaking point where I can't, I was trying a different one. And I remember I had this craving for potato chips and I never eat potato chips. And so I pulled into a gas station. This is like nine years ago. And I went and I got these potato chips that I needed more than anything. And I tried to open them in my car and I couldn't get the bag open. So I start slamming the bag against the middle console of my car. And I had this moment where I was like, who is this person? Like, this is scary. So that was the end of my... (laughs) I've had many patients come in and tell me birth control made me crazy. Yeah. And I believe it. I mean, I've, I've seen it, I've heard, or that made me blow up. It made me gain 20 pounds. And mm-hmm. we, we see these things all the time. So, you know, if there's an alternative way to control the symptoms, then why put yourself through that risk? Granted, birth control has provided an option as birth control mm-hmm. for many women for yeah. a long time. And, you know, there's some legitimacy to that, but mm-hmm. to use it, you know, for all these other conditions, I just think is a done a great disservice, not to mention, you know, the, the libido effect of birth control, how it lowers testosterone, it lowers libido in young women. And some of that, you know, may not be reversible even when they get mm-hmm. off of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always wondered what that does when you go on it so young, you know, I went on it before I was having sex. So it was purely for my skin when it was just like, and I've wondered, if some of these issues that so many women my age deal with is maybe a result of that. I don't know. Yeah. And we, we don't know a lot of these things until, you know, decades. Yeah. When it comes to what we feed our pets, obviously we want to give them the absolute best that is out there. There are so many different pet brands, but we finally landed on one that we really love, that Harvey really loves too, and that is Sundays. So Sundays is air-dried dog food made from a short list of human-grade ingredients. It was co-founded by a practicing veterinarian, and it contains 90% meat, 10% vegetables, and 0% synthetic ingredients. So besides USDA beef and all-natural chicken, you will find digestive aids like pumpkin and ginger plus disease fighting antioxidants. We can't be sure, but I think that the digestive aids really have helped Harvey. He was having some stomach issues before. And when we switched to Sundays, those kind of subsided. Also, his coat is looking pretty amazing. He's getting lots of compliments. Dog parents report noticeable health improvements in their dogs, including softer fur, fresher breath, better poops, and more energy. And It's very convenient. So unlike other fresh dog food, Sundays is zero prep, zero mess, and zero stress. Sundays is shelf-stable, which makes it easy to feed your dog top-quality food 
Also, every order ships right to your door, so you never have to worry about running out of dog food again. And it's affordable. Sundays costs 40% less than other healthy dog food brands because Sundays doesn't waste money shipping frozen packages. Instead, they spend on what matters, which is sourcing the best all-natural ingredients for your dog. So we worked out a special deal for my dog-loving listeners. You can get 35% off your first order of Sundays. Go to sundaysfordogs.com slash blonde or use the code blonde at checkout. That's S-U-N-D-A-Y-S-F-O-R-D-O-G-S dot com forward slash blonde. Upgrade your pup to Sundays and feel good about the food you feed your dog. By now, you guys probably know that I am all about doing high maintenance beauty things so that I can be low maintenance. And one of the best examples of this is laser hair removal. I don't think we ever really stop to think about how many hours a year, probably days a year, are dedicated to shaving, not to mention the shaving or waxing math that we have to do if say we have a vacation coming up and so we want to get waxed, but then we have an event a few weeks later that we still want to be waxed for, but then we're going to have some regrowth. And you guys know the math that goes into a lot of beauty things like that. So laser hair removal is such an amazing option because you can permanently reduce unwanted hair for good. Laser hair removal zaps hair follicles right at the root so you can see and feel results as soon as after your first treatment. And it saves time, saves so much money compared to a lifetime of shaving and waxing. And with waxing, you have to grow your hair back out after each session, whereas with laser, you don't. So if you're wondering where a good place is for laser hair removal, definitely check out Ideal Image Treatments. As North America's number one medical aesthetics provider, Ideal Image leads the category by delivering affordable and effective face and body treatments through the industry's largest network of doctors and licensed professionals. They have over 20 years of experience and more than 20 million FDA-cleared treatments performed. They have exclusive technology that treats all skin types and tones, and they basically have the industry's best results at the best value. And right now, Ideal Image is celebrating 20 years of real results with throwback pricing. You can get your free personalized plan if you go to idealimage.com slash blonde. That's www.idealimage.com slash B-L-O-N-D-E. Again, idealimage.com slash blonde. One of the questions that I get all the time from listeners and people who follow me is how do I stay healthy and maintain healthy habits when I travel? I think we have all experienced being really locked in with our routines when we're at home and then we travel and it's really hard to keep up with our habits. But Weston Hotels make it possible for you to keep up with your wellness routine while traveling and even explore new ones, which I always think is so when I'm traveling. I love exploring the area around me on a walk. You can go for runs. I love a good hotel gym and Weston has all of that and more. So with signature offerings that help you move, eat and sleep well, Weston hotels make travel an opportunity to enhance your well-being. So at Weston, you can work out how you want with a variety of fitness options to keep your wellness routine on track while you're away. You can maintain your focus in Weston workout fitness studios, which are equipped with 
state-of-the-art equipment. They also have really amazing run options. So Weston actually has a run concierge, which is a running guide and buddy who makes it easy for you to explore the local areas. Weston has three and five mile scenic running maps that can make it easier for you to find the best route to explore on foot. You can also do your own thing in your guest room with workout and recovery gear available on demand through Weston's gear lending program. And you can customize your workout while on the go with Hyperice and Bala products to borrow during your stay. Also, they have their eat well menu. So this is designed with foods that make sure you meet your nutritional needs and you can choose what's right for you based on desired portion size, nutritional balance and ingredients. As if that's not enough, you can also recharge your body and mind with restorative sleep in Weston's renowned heavenly bed and so much more. So Weston Hotels and Resorts is part of Marriott Bonvoy, an extraordinary portfolio of hotel brands and an award-winning travel program. At Weston Hotels, there's amenities and offerings aimed to help you move well, eat well, and sleep well, so you can keep your well-being close well away. Find wellness on your next day at Weston. Okay, so we touched on PCOS a little bit, and you and I were talking about this before we started recording, but this also is another really common thing that a lot of women deal with. And I've had various people on the show who have talked about how PCOS is more of a lifestyle condition. I'm curious what your take is on that. And also, like, how do you get a true PCOS diagnosis? I do think a lot of it is lifestyle. I mean, like most things in medicine, there's a genetic predisposition often and lifestyle sort of pulls the trigger. But PCOS, by the way, you know, they've designed the criteria to have, you know, two two boxes checked, basically having acne or hair loss, irregular periods. There's almost no woman who hasn't, you know, fulfilled the criteria for PCOS at some point in mm-hmm. their in their years. And so I think it's, you know, the, it's said to be the most common endocrine disorder, but I think it's the most commonly overdiagnosed endocrine disorder. So those are the pathways through I, through which I address, you know, PCO again, healthy weight loss, low glycemic diets, supplements. Interestingly, and you and I were talking about this, we're seeing a lot more thin PCOS these days. And, you know, that's a bit of a head scratcher. And I wonder, you know, what extent these endocrine chemicals are playing because there are, again, studies showing where they'll measure the blood of patients who have the signs and symptoms of PCOS, and they'll measure their endocrine disruptors, and they'll find strong correlations. And we know that some of these endocrine disruptors can activate the androgen receptor, for example. And so there's a good reason to think that chemicals are playing a role in so-called thin PCOS. Mm-hmm. If it activates the androgen receptor, would that be a reason for elevated testosterone exactly well it. it'll it'll mimic the effects of it mm-hmm. so this is a scenario where somebody may have normal testosterone mm. on the blood test but they have all the signs and symptoms of high testosterone so it's like manifesting in their body without actually having excess hormone exactly very exactly. interesting we touched i think a little bit last week on spironolactone i can't remember if we talked about metformin for true pcos patients mm-hmm. How do you feel about those options? Yeah, I love it. I mean, I use metformin a lot in my practice. It's mm-hmm. it's fantastic. It's safe. It's effective in many different conditions. Maybe good for anti-aging. <laughs> yeah, possibly. <laughs> you know, there's studies ongoing about that. Mm-hmm. And we know that it's been shown to, you know, decrease uh, mortality in big studies and cancer risks. And 
So yes, I definitely use metformin a lot, or we'll use berberine, which um, seems to be quite effective, similar to metformin in many studies, mm -hmm. but is, you know, quote unquote, more natural. Mm -hmm. And spironolactone for those patients who have more cosmetic concerns, you know, everybody with PCOS has a different, some people it's more cosmetic, some people it's more the insulin resistance, pre-diabetes pathway. And then for other patients, it's, you know, fertility and, and ovulation. But for patients with skin issues, we use spironolactone, which also blocks the androgen receptor and also prevents the conversion to dihydrotestosterone and is really safe and effective in a lot of patients. Mm -hmm. Does having cystic ovaries mean that you have PCOS? No. Interesting. Yeah. When somebody told me that, my mind was a little bit blown <laughs> yeah. because back to myself, my whole life, I was told that that was why I had PCOS because I had cystic ovaries. Yeah, well, um, some patients will have cysts in their ovaries and they have normal LH and androgens. Mm -hmm. And you know, as you mentioned, your, your hormone levels were normal. Mm -hmm. Some patients will have all the criteria of PCOS and all of their hormones are normal and their, and their ovaries look normal. It's difficult. So I don't know. I don't know how helpful it is anymore to have this, this syndrome when it can be so easily overdiagnosed mm -hmm. and improperly treated. Mm -hmm. And when it is properly treated, can it essentially be reversed or put into remission? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely can. Another common question that I got was about endometriosis. Yeah. So this is something that I know nothing about, except that it is also, or at least it seems difficult to diagnose, difficult to treat, and that there might be a lot of misdiagnosis and mistreatment around it. Yeah. So this is an area, again, as an endocrinologist, I sort of have a peripheral involvement in endometriosis because mm -hmm. it's primarily a gynecologic condition, but it is something that I'm really interested in actually, just academically speaking. I think it's actually legitimately significantly underdiagnosed. Hmm. Endometrial tissue, which again is normally supposed to be in the uterus, in endometriosis, you get hormonally active tissue that can be really anywhere in the abdomen. It can be in the pelvis, it can be in what's called the retroperitoneum, it can be in the colon and the gut. And so women will have a lot of symptoms, bloating, digestive symptoms, and other things that are often totally, you know, it's not considered that it could be endometriosis. So they end up in other specialty, specialty groups for evaluation. Endometriosis is an inflammatory process that's been, you know, well proven. The problem is it's often, I think it can really only be diagnosed surgically, you know, with 100% certainty. Mm -hmm. So, you know, women have to undergo a laparoscopic procedure to be properly diagnosed. But... We also talk about endocrine disruptors with those patients because one of the key features of so many endocrine disruptors is that estrogen uh, agonists, they, they act like estrogens. And that's what drives the production of endometrial lesions is estrogen. Interesting. So we know that, uh, and there's actually a lot of evidence also about intestinal bacteria populations and endometriosis. For example, when a woman makes estrogen, it gets metabolized through the liver and it ends up in the gut. And there's bacteria that sort of help conjugate estrogen that, to get it excreted out of the body. Depending on the balance of bacteria, you may deconjugate the estrogen. The estrogen may build up in your system and can hang around longer and promote proliferation of endometriosis. Similar thing with bacterial populations in the uterine lining or in the vagina or other tissues in the body. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. That is very interesting. Yeah. Okay, so you mentioned thyroid issues, and I would imagine that that is something that you treat often in your everyday practice. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about those. So thyroid conditions present 
you know, typically if the thyroid's underactive, I always use this analogy, it's like the brake pedal, everything is slowed down. People are foggy, they're tired, they're constipated, they're gaining weight, they feel cold, their skin, hair, and nails are dry and, and peeling. If somebody's thyroid is overactive, it's like the gas pedal, they're anxious, they're revved up, they're hot, they're sweaty, their heart is racing, and they're losing weight without trying to. But it's not good weight loss, it's muscle mm-hmm. mass, you know, mm-hmm. muscle mass. That <laughs> Most common cause of thyroid conditions when we can find one are autoimmune conditions where the immune system gets triggered probably from something in the gut. By mistake, then it goes after the thyroid gland. It's something that we call immune mimicry. The immune system attacks a tissue that it you know, didn't initially target. With hyperthyroidism, it's a similar issue. It's autoimmune, but it's sort of like turning it on autopilot. So again, using this paradigm as with every condition, with thyroid patients, you know, they often are on thyroid hormone, which is safe and effective when we use it right. But I still, again, incorporate these conversations about diet and lifestyle and supplements. And there are lots of good studies of supplements for patients with autoimmune thyroid conditions. Mm-hmm. What so, are some of those supplements? Uh, selenium is one that's been really well studied in autoimmune thyroid, and it also helps um, improve the conversion of thyroid hormone from what's called T4 to T3, which is a more active hormone. Inositol, which is another supplement that we use in PCOS, has also been shown to help in Hashimoto's. In addition to black seed, there's something called black cumin seed, which has been shown to be really effective in Hashimoto's. Mm -hmm. So we use a lot of those in addition to all the other things. Mm -hmm. From what I understand about thyroid and testing for thyroid issues, this is an area that I don't really have experience with. The standard values seem to be a little outdated, and Mm -hmm. oftentimes people need to go to a different lab or have more levels tested. So what should people ask their doctor for if they suspect that they have a thyroid issue, but their blood tests are coming back in that normal value range? Well, they should make sure they're getting the whole panel to look at the TSH, T4, the free T4, and what's called free T3. And they need to make sure that there's no interfering substances. One of the issues that's um, come of light lately is a, a vitamin biotin that a lot of people take for skin, hair, and nails which is not effective by the way, but it interferes with the accuracy of thyroid testing. So it doesn't affect your actual hormone levels, but it can make your lab tests inaccurate. So we need to make sure that someone's not on biotin or there's many other medications that can also affect thyroid you know, functions. So the bottom line is you wanna to go to someone who knows all these nuances so we can get accurate information. Look at the labs in conjunction with the patient, their history, their family history, their lifestyle so we can make the right, you know, recommendation if they need to be on thyroid hormone. Mm -hmm. Okay. Another popular thing in the wellness world is adrenal fatigue. Yeah. Fact or fiction? (laughs) Well, it depends. I mean, there's not like a Western medical ICDM diagnosis of, Mm -hmm. uh, of adrenal fatigue, but the concept makes sense. You know, if we're chronically stressed and our adrenal glands are being wrung out like a washcloth that we might be more fatigued. And we know that People that are chronically stressed um, and fatigued have dysregulated cortisol. It's high when it should be low and it's low when it should be high. So, you know, call it what you want. I think there is something to it. It's a real clear example of the effects of stress on our hormones. Mm -hmm. Would you say stress is the number one offender or would you say chemicals? I think if I had to choose between the two, I'd say stress is probably even worse. Mm. Yeah, it's, It's like the most common Probably that's even the more more common endocrine disruptor than alcohol. Mm, that's uh, the sound bite. <laughs> yeah. Right there. Yeah. Is there such thing as perfectly balanced hormones or is it just kind of a 
like a um, fluctuating thing that we're always going to be dealing with. You know, I think the bottom line is there are plenty of people who have normal hormones who feel well, but in this day and age, it's easy to think that everybody's fucked up because nobody goes online or posts something and says, Hey, my hormones are great. And I feel normal, you know, and mm -hmm. signs off. It's, it's, there's a bias towards negative information. Mm -hmm. Having said that, you know, we are seeing a lot more conditions, especially in younger patients. We're seeing more infertility. We're seeing PCO in thinner patients, things that just don't make sense. So I think there are, there are true imbalances out there, but again, the, the take home message is the way that we fix an imbalance is not just to slap a bandaid up approach to it and put somebody on hormones, which I think is too often the case. We've got to look deeper and try to, again, as I spoke about the other day, first make sure there's not a serious condition. Do they have a tumor or some autoimmune condition? And then let's try to balance them, you know, with their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At what point should somebody seek out either yourself or another endocrinologist? Well, first of all, if they get an abnormal lab panel from a naturopath or somebody, they should probably have it looked at by a medical doctor or an endocrinologist specifically because mm -hmm. there's so many nuances to hormones that would take me another five sessions with you to, <laughs> to explain all of them obviously if they're on hormones or some protocol and they're not feeling better or they're feeling worse i mean i've seen you know terrible things happen to people out there who you know thought they were doing the right thing by you know taking somebody's protocol mm -hmm. so i would say patients should have a low threshold because again you could be doing yourself harm worse than the condition you started with Mm -hmm. And that's often, you know, irreparable. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that is the world of wellness right, right now. Right. <laughs> Amazing. Well, are you taking new patients? I know people are going to ask. Uh, I do take a limited number of patients. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm spread somewhat thin because I have an office in here in LA mm -hmm. and in Palm Beach, Florida. And I also do telemedicine in New York. But people are welcome to reach out to me and do my best to help them or at least direct them in the right way. Amazing. Thank yeah. you so much. Thanks for having me. Tell everybody where they can find you. <laughs> they can find me online at jordangeller.com or our Instagram is uh, at geller.endocrinology. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you liked it, and if you like the show in general, please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe. It goes a long way, and it's actually the best way to support the show. Also, if you want to see more about each episode, you can head over to the Blonde Files podcast on Instagram. You can go to ariellaurie.com. And I'm always posting about each episode over on my personal page at ariellaurie. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.